Interesting. They're a really horny animal. Oh, the oh, yeah. sexuals, yes. We didn't come up with the stripper names, they chose us. Boy, Gilly Gil, and I'm sitting in a new chair. But this is the same show, let's <laughs> talk about sex. <laughs> and all the things, right? This is a show where we are going to uncover, discover, um, be intimate and vulnerable in the conversations that we have about our sexuality, our children's sexuality, um, and who we are as adults. And this particular show is about sex after 50. Um, and we're, we have a great specialist, um, someone who I admire a lot. I got to meet in a documentary I shot um, about a year or so ago. And she said something that was, it was amazing at the end, like the greatest statement that we heard the entire time when we were filming um, was we need health equity. Um, and I just, you know, that, that uh, it throttled me to look at other things um, in my life personally and in the lives of my friends and families. And since then, I've, I've gone on to do a whole bunch. But as before we get started, as we normally do, I want to make sure the crew introduces themselves and then we will ultimately introduce our expert as well. So since Amira's not here, I'm just going to throw it over here. Reese. I'm taking over the Amira show. This is now the Reese show. I'm in a different chair. My name is Reese. I go to the School of Public Health in the PhD program. I am a pleasure researcher. And my fun fact. Oh, Let's go. My <laughs> fun fact is I am a obsessed with those NPC fetish TikTok videos. Shout out to Pinky Doll. Okay. If you watch those. What? What is, it? <laughs> what is an NPC fetish? So you know how people play video games and there's video game characters? Have you ever played Grand Theft Auto? I've never played that. I've well, that. Yeah. We're going to have to introduce you. Grand Theft Auto has these like non-player characters. So they're the players that you don't control. There's a fetish now of being able to control those characters via TikTok by sending them gifts and money, and then they do different actions based on what you send them. I'm obsessed with them. I love watching them. It is like multitasking at its finest. Does this cost money? It You pay them. When you yeah. contribute to you us, You contribute yes. to them. What do you mean to us? When you're a player. When you're an NPC. Oh, yeah. I'm, like, I'm Go look up Pinky Doll on TikTok. You go check it out. Write it down. Write it down. It is a very interesting thing. Pinky Doll. Pinky Doll on TikTok. NPC fetishes. Look into it. What does NPC stand for? Is that? Non-player character. Oh. You're, you're going to email me or text me or call I me and be like, what in the? text when you watch it. I want you to. Why yep. do they do this to me every time? <laughs> you know, we got to learn new My things. My fun facts are designed to thrill you, do you Dr. Game? Anderson. I see. I'm not a gamer. No? Not like that, really. But no. you do play. You I, toy I, I play different games, yeah. Okay. Like, I used to be in love with The Sims. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but not like a, not like a, what do they play now? 2K, Grand Theft Auto? Grand Theft Auto, 2K, Call yeah. of Duty, PUBG. Are you a gamer? Absolutely. Yeah. PUBG and Call of Duty all day long. What is PUBG? PUBG is Players Unknown Battlefield. So it's a, it's basically a player. You get dropped off in the middle of the world, um, and you got to fight to get out, right? And there's just like this shrinking circle that kills everybody if you don't get to the next phase of it. Um, this is a survivalist game. Yeah. First-person shooter. Like well, actually, RPG? it's a first- and third-person shooter, yeah. RPG game. So you know what an NPC is. Yes, absolutely. Is, and you absolutely. know what I'm talking about. And I know who you're talking and about. And you know who so. I'm talking about. About. Yeah, She's true awesome. story. She is. All right, Doc, Dr. Ashley, who are you? I don't know anymore. 
<laughs> I think we, we, this is a trend now. <laughs> it seems to be. Yes. I'm in a new seat as well. I'm Dr. Ashley Anderson. I'm a women's health nurse practitioner. Um, I've worked as such for the last 15 years. I love all things women, women empowerment, and happy to be here with Dr. Krieger. Um, welcome to this chaos. You seem like you have such a calm energy, which is, we need it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I want to start with this, and then I will let you finish, because I, I want you to tell us who you are. But I just love the fact, like, when I had your bio, like, I've had it now twice, and, you know, identifying that you are a professor in the Department of Family and Geriatric Medicine at the University of Louisville School of Medicine. You're also the Director of Health Equity for the Health Sciences Campus at University of Louisville as well. And then an endowed chair for Urban Policy for the Foundation of Healthy um, Kentucky, right? So, like... I mean, but it, it just keeps going mm-hmm. and going. Like, you are, one, you are amazing, right? So I, I, if I'm allowed to say I'm enamored with you, I was the first day I met you. But even though, like, our conversation before you sat on the couch, I was just like, ooh. And then when you sat on the couch and you just kept going, and I'm like, ooh, again. Like, <laughs> So will you, will you share with the audience who you are from your standpoint? I am a um, 69-year-old-plus lady. Ma'am, what? <laughs> yeah. I'm not allowing you to skate past that. Yes. Have um, a moment of silence for this. Louisville. You are beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Louisville is my home. And my fun fact was I was a JCPS science teacher for eight years before I went to medical school. Oh, wow. Love science. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So what was the charge to go to medical school? I got married at 18. And it was easier to get those A's in... Um, education than it was for pre-med. Yes, ma'am. And then I taught, and I figured out how to handle the student problems, and I wrote curriculum, and I was department chair, and one day the um, excitement surprise went away. I thought, let me see, what am I going to do next? Am I going to finish my doctorate in education? And, and I figured I was going to take as long to do my doctorate in education as to go to medical school, which was what I always had wanted to be when I was younger. Okay. So I went back on the summer and retook my science classes and took the MCAT. And at that point, I was 30 wow. and uh, set a score. If I could do this, I could compete with the youngsters. Yes, I actually ma'am. took a sabbatical from JCPS and just in case. And they called me after two years, and I said, mm, I think I'm doing okay here. I'm going to stay. And I, got those, I get the same warm fuzzies from my patients as I did my students. Mm-hmm. And so it's yes, a good ma'am. transition for me. I, I love it. This is also a great example for people who are listening or watching in that you can change your career and do anything at any moment in time. Mm-hmm. Like you just have to make a decision to do something different. And I thank you. I appreciate that message. You know, as, as we move into this conversation, I'm going to jump into because I'm 48 and I think about the things that, that men go through. Right? <laughs> same, trying to get the same reaction. <laughs> <laughs> not the same, not the same. But since we have an expert in understanding sex life and, and all things healthy and, and the idea that our grandparents are having sex, um, um, you know, we talked a little bit about um, folks go through divorce. And so there's this, there's this latent age, I guess, um, where they're single now and, and they're sexually active. And it's a different education space, right? Right. Um, And I'm often curious as I get to closer to 50, what is my what is my sexual life expectation? And you mentioned something about 
cardiac arrest. And I constantly are researching ED because I realized that like almost 50 percent of men between 40 to 50 are going to experience it. And then recently I thought I wasn't going to say this. My doctor gave me some medication that caused it. And I was like, I'm not taking that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she looked at me like, well, this is what it is. And I was like, I'm not going to feed one issue over another. And I like this issue. Like I work. I'm not going to not work because of that. I, can we can we pick that back up and then let's Take it wherever it goes. So from a standpoint of as we're getting closer to 50, what are things that we have to look out for? What do men and women have to look out for? Um, Well, physiologically, our bodies are changing as we age. And so women are going through menopausal changes, and they may have um, drier vaginas, and so it's harder uh, for them to engage painlessly in sex sometimes, and they may not have had to deal with that before. For both men and women, as they get older, um, having an orgasm requires that you are patient, and it may take longer, and you may have to do adaptations to get this to happen. For men, testosterone levels can fall, thyroid levels can fall that can influence um, their libido or their performance. And if they view sex with the person that they love as trying to satisfy that person, they may feel very insecure in that relationship because they can't perform the way they think they should. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of providers don't engage in that conversation, even though we know that when a man begins to have erectile dysfunction problems, we need to be evaluating their cardiovascular status because that could be a sign that down the road they're going to have a heart attack. So what I'm saying is that when they start having erectile dysfunction, we're going to be looking at their weight. We're going to be looking at their blood pressure. We're going to be looking at their lipid profiles. We're going to tune them up like a 50,000-mile tune-up. Yes, ma'am. But they have to tell us these things. And if you, I'm a family doc. I'm also certified in HIV care. So the discussions of sexuality have been in my practice for more than 30 years from both male and female. And so I've had men to be brought into the office by their wives. The wives may have started out as my patient, and they decide that the men, there's something wrong. We need to have this discussion. Um, And that's what should happen between a couple. Sexuality, when you get more than 50, Communication is very important. And when we talk about intimacy, it's not just a sexual intimacy. Sex doesn't start in the bed. Sexuality starts doing things together, whether it's the movies or whether it's going to the grocery store or whether you're holding hands or whether somebody gives you a spontaneous kiss or just spontaneous says, I love you. It's an emotional and mental bond, a communicative way. For intimacy before you think about how do I make this better in the bedroom. You have to talk, you have to listen, and have to be comfortable with that person sharing. And how do you get to that place? For some men, it's difficult because they are not used to focusing on that part of their lives and they feel that they've lost something. And for some women, it may be difficult because they may not be able to respond the same ways. Wow, wow. That's, that's, that's got to be gut-wrenching. I, can, I can't imagine, right? I don't actually want to imagine, but I'm, I'm curious to, how do, you, how do you individually 
begin to help them get through that journey, right? Um, both taking care of it for themselves and then being able to go in front of their, their, their mate and say, hey, this is what I'm facing. Um, it's asking a question. So if I am doing an exam on a, physic, a female and I'm doing a breast exam or I'm doing a pap smear or a pelvic, I'm going to ask, are you sexually active, Male, whether they're married or not? And then I'm going to ask, well, if you're not, why are you not? I'm asking questions along this line. And do you know about safer sex? Because 50, 60, 70, 80... And my oldest sexually active patient, 93. Let's go. Right. <laughs> you know, it doesn't stop. You know, in our society, um, it's supposed to stop. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah. Even for physicians, they don't believe um, that these things happen. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you have to bring up the conversation as the patient. Mm -hmm. You have to say, um, Doc, I'm... Still getting it in. I still have a desire because <laughs> sex is a quality of life issue. Mm -hmm. The touching of your body by someone else creates endorphins in your brain. Yeah. Kind of like if you were a marathon runner or something else that is pleasurable for you, sex is pleasurable for you. Yeah. yeah. And so you're going to want to do that, but our culture doesn't support that all the time. So patients have to be encouraged or their spouses have to be encouraged. And doctors, providers have to say to the men when they're doing their review of systems, you have any problems urinating, it comes when you want it to, it doesn't come when you don't want it to, are you having any erectile problems? And that opens up a conversation. Maybe not on the first visit with a provider, mm -hmm. but the fact that you recognize that your patient can be sexually active makes it easier for them to speak to you about it. And if the patient isn't comfortable with the provider, let's say they have a female provider, the urologists are specialists in this area. So they're not just not pills, but they're implants, they're injections, they're vacuums, there are different strategies. Did you say vacuums? Vacuums. <laughs> there are different vacuum? strategies <laughs> for maintaining an erection. And don't forget, when I mentioned about hormones, you know, women go through menopause, right? Everybody accepts that. Mm -hmm. But do men understand that their testosterone levels, when they drop, can make them gain weight, have erectile dysfunction problems if their thyroids aren't working the way it should be? And so giving those supplements can do a lot for people. Getting into a weight loss program can do a lot for people. But you got to open the door. you got to start the conversation. And if your provider doesn't, one of the things that disappoints me is uh, men get prostate cancer. Yes. And the treatments for prostate cancer involve, in a lot of times, surgery. But sometimes in advanced prostate cancer, they have to take um, medications that suppress their testosterone levels to zero. Wow. And when that happens, their uh, physical strength takes a turn. The virility that they feel takes a turn, but they may not bring that up to the oncologist or the urologist. And if those individuals don't address the issue of the sexuality, do you have a wife? Do you have a girlfriend? Are you still interested? Because that's self-esteem mm -hmm. yes. for a male not to be able to perform the way that they have been used to doing. 
<laughs> can we, can we shift to women real huh? quick? Because I'm, I'm curious as women go through menopause, right? Because I'm, I'm not a woman and I'll, I'll probably never experience. And I'm, I'm curious to what that journey looks like for older women. Oh, yeah. Well, the men will come in and me and say, God, she's freezing me out because she's having these hot flashes and she's got the air conditioning down to 50. (laughs) And because she's having those experiences, she's not sleeping well. So she might be a little bit grumpy Mm -hmm. and her metabolism is going to change. So she may have when she was in her 20s could scarf down those McDonald's milkshakes and fries. But that's not happening now. And she's had children. And so body parts that used to stay up by themselves before birth now need adaptive devices, whether that's in a swimsuit (laughs) or a bra. Adaptive devices. (laughs) Adaptive devices. That's all about getting older is being adaptive, being flexible, being open, communicative. Do, Do when women go through menopause, do they typically shut down? Like, do they go through that? Is it is it the same mental experience as a man who was not? They may be reluctant to tell their provider that it hurts when they have sex. So let's say she goes through her menopause and he's still performing adequately, but then she begins to withdraw because it's uncomfortable for her. And there are things that can help that. But again, that's a discussion that she's not going to get on the 2 o'clock, 2 a.m. television commercial about making it better. That's a discussion she needs with her provider. So you talked about how you have a little bit of certification in HIV care. So you probably, I'm making an assumption that you see a lot of LGBTQ patients. Um, And I know from a class that I just recently took that we have this emerging LGBTQ geriatric population, so much so that even some nursing homes or long-term care facilities are specializing in just this population. What are some things that those patients need to know as they age um, that's specific to them? Well, they're sort of unique. Actually, in 2015, half of all the HIVs in this country were over the age of 50. And the CDC considers anyone over the age of 50 a geriatric patient. Mm-hmm. And, but when you look at LGBTQ plus individuals in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, they grew up in a time of closeting. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? So they didn't tell and they didn't form the relationships that the youngers have now. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they still desire, like anyone else, heterosexual or LGBTQ+, whatever their orientation, they still need the physical touch. They still need the emotional and mental intimacy as well as the physical intimacy. But they may have a harder time. They have more isolation. Mm-hmm. They have... Uh, fewer networks that can support them. If you look at long-term facilities in general, um, they can be hotbeds of STDs in a heterosexual population. Yeah, because men die sooner than women Mm -hmm. on the average. And so you may have one rooster in a hen house. Mm -hmm. And if you've got a little bit of dementia in there. It's a pretty busy rooster. It could be, (laughs) right. Um, We are working very hard in this country to stop the epidemic of HIV. And we've made inroads. As African-Americans, we're still accounting for over 50%. When you look at, if you add Hispanics, we're 60 to 70% of the HIV new cases in the last few years. Um, People 
forget, well, maybe they don't understand, you don't have to be LGBTQ plus to be at risk. Mm-hmm. And people don't come with A's and H's on their forehead that they're infected. And we have tools for prevention of HIV now. U equals U, undetectable equals non-transmissible of HIV. The rules for that means they have to have an undetectable viral load for six months or more, be on durable antiviral therapy, and they keep their appointments with their physician every six months. So if somebody says, oh, I've got HIV, but I'm undetectable, so we can have sex, there are other questions to be asked. How old was that test, and are you taking your medicines appropriately? Then there is task, treatment as prevention. That means you want to identify who's HIV positive. You want to get them on medication so that they don't um, contribute to new cases. Go ahead, Don. So I, I, ha- I wanted to shift um, back to that conversation about how it's sometimes hard for patients to bring this up to their providers. Um, so I want to ask two questions. One, um, well, backstory. We, because of this, have on our medical history form questions about are you having pain with intercourse? Are you um, have experiencing vaginal dryness? Have you um, l- noticed a decrease in libido? That type of thing. So they can just circle it, and then mm-hmm. I can bring it up. Um, and so that, I find, is helpful. Um, my question to you first is, what would be your advice for providers for broaching those conversations with their patients where they may not feel comfortable or fully suited and prepared for that? And then from the other angle, if you're a, a woman or a man who is experiencing difficulty and really want to seek help, especially after listening to you on this episode, um, how would you suggest that they go about broaching that topic with their provider? Well, I applaud, first of all, the questions that you're asking your well, women. Thank you. Because um, a lot of us have the EPIC um, electronic medical record system, mm-hmm. which doesn't go into those details. Mm-hmm. And so a provider needs to be able to know the five P's of having to take a sexual history. As I said, asking questions like you've just mentioned are important for opening the door. Asking a male, are you having any problems with sexual performance? Now, the first time I see a male, if I ask that question, they may deny it Mm -hmm. because there's a stigma and there's a self-esteem that's rolled into it. Mm. So that's on me and providers to investigate that because they're of a certain age to make sure that we don't miss something. Mm-hmm. If they have those issues, they you know that doctor to patient relationships are two way street. And so you should have a primary that you can talk to. And because I have gray hair and I'm an old lady, I can get away with a lot of things. <laughs> so I'm gonna ask, how do you have sex? Do you participate in Vaginal sex, or do you participate in this, you know, men, oral sex, when you have sex, and someone performs oral sex on you, are you wearing a condom when someone performs on you if you're a male? If you're performing oral sex on someone else, are they using a female condom or dental dam? Do you perform or participate in rectal sex, and are you receptive or an insertive partner? Because... As a provider, I'm going to screen for sexually transmitted diseases. I'm going to teach you what you need to know, but I'm going to go after it at the source of the event. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to say that. I wasn't in the diplomatic line in heaven. So <laughs> I'm just going to, uh, yes, ma'am. I, I come out and ask in that way. 
so that I can do adequate screening and teach people the different tests that are needed and how often they need to be done and how you do them. For instance, you know, HIV. Now you can buy an HIV test kit at Walgreens. It'll cost you about 50 bucks. Okay. But it's a third generation, and so it'll have a three-month window, which means it could test negative, and you still would be positive within the three months of the event. A fourth generation is a shorter window, three to four weeks. And if you get a viral load testing in your office, the medical office, that can pick it up within one to two weeks. So it is important that you don't assume that your provider is testing for everything when you come in for a physical. And if you've got concerns, you've got to bring that up. It's important for people to be super informed. Like half the stuff you just said, I would have never thought to ask. How, how do people, just in the sense of talking to their doctors, and, and how do they find the best way to be their own advocates? Like, like if you don't know, like how, how do you, how do you, I don't know, I'm just trying to figure out how you navigate that knowledge base. I think the, because of the way our health system is set up in this country, where you are booked every 15 to 20 minutes, mm-hmm. that you need to be very specific on what you want to be addressed in that short amount of time. You, know, you can figure out it takes me longer than that to say hi to people. <laughs> but I'm old and I can get away with that. Yes, ma'am. But 15 to 20 minutes is the normal booking time on a clinical schedule. And so if you have concerns about sexual performance or if you have concerns about libido, even if you don't feel comfortable saying that to the person on the other end of the phone, let's just say you say lab, when you hit the door and the provider hits the door, doc, I know what it says, this is what I want to do. Got you, got you. You have to, don't wait till they get through your blood pressure and your weight and all this and they've got their hand on the doorknob because at that point you will be asked to come back. But if that's what you're coming in there for, then you've got to be very upfront with the provider. If you don't feel comfortable with the person taking the appointment, then you need to know as soon as they hit the door, this is what I want to work on today to get that in the air and get it on the table. Um, I wanted to ask about thyroid, if Mm. you could expand on that. I think a lot of times... Um, we hear about thyroid as it relates to weight, as it relates to hair, um, body temperature, heart rate. But we don't often talk about thyroid as it relates to sexual dysfunction. So if some, if a male comes in and they, I've identified there's a problem, I'm not going to reflexively write Cialis or Viagra. I'm going to say, one, I need thyroid tests. I need a testosterone level on you. Especially if, and two-thirds of the adults in the state of Kentucky are overweight and obese. So just about everybody that's coming to me with that complaint, I'm going to wonder if their thyroid is working sufficiently. Because if it's under working, then they're going to have dry hair and they're going to have overweight that they can't get rid of despite all the things that they're doing. But if I find it, I can give them supplemental medicines for thyroid. I can give supplemental medicines for testosterone. And that can maybe alleviate them having to buy pills or take shots or get implants or get vacuums or get whatever else they're planning on using. And we haven't talked about sex toys. 
I mean, there are artificial things, adaptive devices for people out there to... Is that the proper term, adaptive devices? No, that's, that's an old lady's term yeah. for trying okay. to get people to think outside the box. I got you. So um, next time I'm out there, yeah. I'm going to say, hey, do you have adaptive devices? Yes, we do. Okay, you know, let's go. A woman goes to uh, Victoria's Secret to buy a, a gown and... She chooses a very sexy gown and has to come out and ask the sales lady for something to hold up what used to stand up by itself. That's her breast. So they'll bring an adaptive device. You can get a swimsuit that I call an orthopedic version that has adaptive devices inside. I love it. So you're talking about doing some investigation, being an investigator versus taking the easy road out and just prescribing something. On On both sides of the pathway. Um, being an investigator on the patient side as to not attributing this to age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't just say I'm 65 or I'm 55 or I'm 72 and I, my sex life is over. Mm-hmm. You can't go anywhere with that. They're, the patient is the general on the battlefield and the provider. Our job is just to figure out what soldiers are needed to win the war. And if the patient general leaves the battlefield, we can't approach it. And then on the provider side, we have to be able to engage with the patient to see what their needs are. For instance, for PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis to HIV, there is 211 that the um, FDA hasn't sanctioned yet. The CDC has been writing about for the last two years in which you take the pill two to 48 hours before the event, and then 24 hours later you take a pill, and then 48 hours after that, take a second pill. If somebody's only having sex on New Year's Eve, that's a preventive measure for them as opposed to having to take one pill a day. Now, somebody who's having multiple partners who is not in a committed relationship where they both have been tested, someone who doesn't know if their partner is HIV positive, someone who suspects their patient may, their partner may be using IV drugs, that's a person who you're going to need something every day for. Gotcha. Wow. And there's so many new things coming down the pike. When you do this in three to four years, there may be a vaginal insert for HIV prevention. There are so many different things that are going to be uh, we already have the injectables that are new. People first need to know their risk. People need to know that it is okay for them to be sexually active and to perform because that is a quality of life issue, but they have to do it safely for them and their partner. Through all the ranges of ages. All the ages. All the <laughs> yeah, ages. you don't see CDC posters that look like me. Right. They're all young. Yeah. But... You have to think about that. And as a family doc on the other side of my world of HIV and family medicine, if somebody comes in with dementia, I've got to figure out, is this because syphilis? Is this because of HIV? Wow. Yeah. So that brings up another question, and I know we're going to have to wrap up here in a second, but you say dementia, and I want to move, I guess, to mental health, right? When you when you hit menopause, men, women are going through this journey after 50 how much of the issues, how much psychological issues are they encountering as they're going through these changes as well? And what can they do to help that? Well, a woman, when she hits menopause and realizes she can no longer have children, mm-hmm. that is a hard thing for them because that's part of the culture. That's how women were identified. Um, you were able to have children and the people who could not 
women who could not, for, for whatever reason, felt ostracized through the stigma in our culture. So that's something that a woman is dealing with, wow. their biological clock. Mm-hmm. Have I gone through school too long and I've waited too long? Mm-hmm. Men can foster children, you know, 80 years old. Your sperm don't die out, but the eggs in women become problematic uh, after a certain age, even if they took their eggs out and decided to have a surrogate mother. Um, it is, aging is wonderful. I wouldn't go back to be 16 for all the tea in China. Because I think, <laughs> I think I'm a bit older and smarter and wiser now. And you get to an age, can you remember when you were 18 and you think, I can be anything I want to be? Yes. Well, when you hit 60 and 65, that same cycle happens again. And yeah, because okay, you're getting close go. to retirement and you all the dreams that you may have put on hold, you can see, you can see them coming again to you. Mm-hmm. So by 2050, people routinely are going to be living till they're 100 years old. Mm-hmm. So there cannot be a cap on sexuality. Mm-hmm. There yes. just can't. It's a human need. Got you. Got you. I appreciate it. As we wrap up, man, this has been such a wealth of knowledge. Um, and I really appreciate all that you have shared with us. Um, Doc, mm-hmm. is there anything so is there anything that we can take away from this? Before we wrap up, let's, that you want to share that you think people should take away from this? All of it. All of it. Is there, is <laughs> there mean, one thing that just highlights, though? Um, I think the one thing that I would say is just the need to dig deeper um, if, if issues arise, to not just say, oh, well, this is because I'm 60 now or I'm 55 or whatever, to actually have those conversations with your provider to seek and make sure there's not uh, an underlying issue that's causing um, sexual problems. So I would think that that would be a huge takeaway from Anything surprise you? Surprise? Yeah. No. No. Of course not. Your enamoration with vacuums, yes. <laughs> I am. I am going to look up vacuums because, I mean, I thought as much as I study and look up stuff, mm-hmm. I'm not sure I looked up in or heard of a vacuum. Of Actually, pumps. there were commercials and patients were coming in because they were, they were getting things in the mail and things telling them that your doctor can write you for a vacuum pump. Wow. And a couple of them got them. Um, mail order and didn't know how to use them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why you actually need to. <laughs> I'm, I'm, man, I'm scared of the vacuum. Did, but yeah, okay. <laughs> Reese, as you, as you take a sit there, yeah. is there takeaways, anything that surprised you? My takeaway, I think, is I'm excited to see, you know, how my sexuality changes as I grow older and, and to have that knowledge that it continues. There is no ceiling. Um, So I'm really just excited to see how my body changes and how my experience with my sexuality is going to change as I get older. The best is yet to come. Oh, yeah, it is. (laughs) To come. One of the things that we didn't talk about were the medications that can affect Mm -hmm. performance, both women and and men. Mm -hmm. And so if something happens... You need to have that conversation because there are different classes of blood pressure medicines, particularly that doctors, providers can choose from that may cause an adverse effect to your quality of life. Yeah. We took an oath to do no harm, but you have to tell us. Don't just stay away mm. and, not, and stop taking the medicine. Just 
be honest with you. Nah, that's cool, because I'm looking forward to having a new doctor after that last conversation I had. I was just like, yeah, we're not going to do that. I'm too young for that. Um, <laughs> we, we can find some other avenues to figure out a thing. And, you know, I'm allergic to a lot of stuff, so I tend to have adverse reactions to everything that I touch. And so I have to look at that when they were like, oh, only one or two percent of people experience X. I'm like, yeah, I'm probably that guy. Let's not do this. Let's find another avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a that's a great takeaway, because I'm, I'm always wondering how I can build an intimate relationship with my providers and most of my favorite doctors have since retired. And I realized that I've had the best experience because they were all like way older than I was. And I think now that I'm 48, my doctors are my age and I'm like, man, I need, I need, I need you in my life. Um, (laughs) Let's go. Let's get it. Well, is there anything that you would like to leave us with? Well, I do appreciate the opportunity to talk about this subject on this platform because sexuality is something that's not normally approached over 50. Yes, ma'am. And I thank you for allowing me to do that. Our pleasure. It has absolutely been a pleasure. Thank you. Hopefully you'll come back again. Oh, I would love to. (laughs) And I'm actually going out on a date with this makeup. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) I I can't wait to get to, what'd you say, 69 plus and see what life is like after. 69. Yeah. Now you got to get to a gym now. I got to get to a gym. You got to get to an exercise regimen. I can do that. Eat healthy. You gotta okay. order a pump. I'm not gonna say that I, you gotta I, I go vegan. I hope I'm not in a position where I have to order a pump. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, don't, I like toys. I like. Aren't you just a little curious about how it works in general? I am. I feel like that's the first thing this. he's gonna do when we. Talk yeah. about I, I am curious. <laughs> so, like, I, 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 before we wrap, like, I, I love researching toys, right? Um, and so my, my, my newest toy that I'm researching is the Loveness toy that is a China-based company that makes um, um, remote Wi-Fi and Bluetooth um, vibrators for women, but they also make them for men. Um, and so you can, your mate, you can use each other. You can be remote. Like um, you could be in Vegas and I could be in Indiana and you could have it in and we could still engage, um, which is right. I was like, yo, this is super neat. And then I was like, I wonder if they got a guy version. And then I found one and I was like, Gotta play. You know what I mean? So I'm all for toys. I'm not sure about a pump though. But I am gonna I am gonna look up the vacuum because that is a that's a thing. Pulls and to make sure I have a cool doctor to make sure I don't hurt myself if that ever comes to a point. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm just I saw a movie once. That didn't look good. Uh, <laughs> but my good people, I hope you learned something as you tuned in today. This is a great conversation. So yes, your grandparents are still having sex. Um yes, your mom and dad are probably still having sex if they're over 50. And you should encourage them to think about safe sex and exploring their sexuality and who would have thought at 60 plus years old your sex life changes again and you get to be 18 again like that's that's some love good people like it comment send us um, a message if you would like to hear more or maybe you have a question and we need to send it out there into the world and answer for you Um, this is common combo this is let's talk about sex and we'll see you in the next episode peace love and hair grease this program is supported by the Health Equity Innovation Hub at the University of Louisville. The views expressed are not necessarily those of the funder.